always forget these ten, the ten bodhisattva vows, so I finally found my bookmark that has them all on it. So that's part of what I'll talk about today. Um, I, w I had so many different things I wanted to talk about, but I think talking about the ten bodhisattva vows, or the ten perfections, maybe I can throw the things in that I wanted to talk about. Um, we, we take the precepts later this month. We do it here at the temple once a year. And it's done differently in different cultures, in different temples, in different families. So it's a tradition that we started here at Blue Lotus where we take the precept ceremony once a year. But you know, you can always, and you should in your own practice at home, always uh, take precepts every day. It can be part of your daily practice. But we do it as a ceremony here because I think one reason is it gives us all kind of a touchstone to come back to. We can remember the day we took our precepts. We, it's a little bit of a, it's a very simple ceremony, but it gives us a, a nice memory to remember to come back to when we get when we get a little bit unfocused or away from ourselves having that special occasion like having a wedding or having a funeral those things give us uh, give us something that we can hang on to now of course we're always renunciating and letting go of attachments so <laughs> uh, be careful about that ceremony in Buddhist cultures, uh, the precepts are said every morning. Little children say them in front of their parents before they go to school. It's just a part of that culture. This is a different culture, so we've got a different ceremony, a different way that we've approached it here at Blue Lotus. So don't think that this is the only way to do the precepts. It's the way that Bande Sujata felt was a good way for people to Make it something special to then make it a part of your daily life. So if you're thinking about taking the precepts, we've talked before about the five precepts, the very, our basic sort of baseline precepts. And the precepts are all about guidelines for our uh, awareness and mindfulness about our ethical principles. So they aren't commandments, they aren't rules, there are, there are training guidelines, and they give us something, again, even in our daily life to just come back to and think about. We have the five precepts, which are not to take life, not to tell an untruth, not to steal or take things that haven't been given to us, not to engage in sexual misconduct, and not to drink or take, not to drink any intoxicating beverage or any uh, drug that causes us to lose our mindfulness. And that's an important one because mindfulness is our practice. Right? Mindfulness is what we're, we're on the cushion for. So we don't want to be losing that uh, mindfulness in our daily behaviors. Then the eight precepts have the same first five. But then we add to that more about speech. We really see speech as one of the main ethical, moral principles that we need to focus on. Because our speech is something, once it's out there, 
we've damaged other people sometimes, we've hurt relationships, we've, um, we've made situations much harder to go back in and, and uh, clean up. So the eight precepts add malicious speech and harsh speech and loose speech, which includes gossip and just speech that we, we, we would do better off not to even uh, practice a lot. So the other precepts basically <coughs> stay the same. Then when, if people choose to then take the bodhisattva vows, or we call them the ten perfections, those are ten qualities that all of us are working on, whether we know it or not. When we come here, when we sit, if we, can, if we find that time even for just a few minutes every day to sit quietly with ourselves, with anything that we study, any of the Buddhist teachings, uh, we're, always, we're always studying those ten qualities. But when we take the, the, the bodhisattva vows, those again become a kind of touchstone for us. Those become the qualities that we can always come back to to focus on. And if things seem to be getting out of balance in our lives, we can come and look at those and think, kind of evaluate, how am I doing in these qualities? Or am I ready to go deeper in my understanding of this quality? So I want to talk about those because I usually start to name them and I get lost in the middle. So, and if Todd's not here, uh, then, I, then, then I usually can't remember all of them. Um, the first one is generosity, which in Pali is dana. And generosity is a very important practice in our spiritual lives because generosity is not only helping other people and finding ways that we can be of help, whether it's our time, it's a smile, whether it's money, whatever it is, it's giving of our, some way we give of ourselves because we know there is so much that needs to be given and we have so much, especially coming from this culture. You know, we have uh, a lot of blessings like uh, shelter and food and uh, good education. So there's a lot that we have to give before we even think about giving money. But the Buddha always taught that that was one of the most important things because giving of ourselves and our generosity is a wonderful way for us to uh, let go of that strong sense of ego and self. When we give of ourselves, we're connecting with other, other beings. So it's finding, it's finding a deeper connection with all other living beings. So that's why it's so important in our practice. And morality or sila, those are the principles that we practice with our precepts. Living a good, ethical, moral life is important for us because it frees us up to really engage in our practice. Not only does it make the world a better place for other people to live in, but it, but it frees our mind from remorse and guilt and questioning, you know, was that the right thing to do? Was I, do I need to do this or that? It, it, it frees our minds up from wondering if our behavior has harmed someone so our morality and our, I guess you could call it clean living, frees our minds up 
It creates more spaciousness for us. So we can really get real about our spiritual practice. So we can have uh, a mind that can settle and can focus and concentrate. So it's good for us in the sense of all, part of always purifying our own minds. And it's always good for other people. They can trust us. Uh, we can be someone that they can go to if they need help, if they know that we are living a, a, a moral, ethical life. Renunciation, nikkama, uh, is um, renunciation is the practice that we're all engaged in as well, whether we know it or not, I think. When we make the decision to come and spend our time like this on a Saturday morning, you know, we could all be we could all be over at the farmer's market. We could all be having breakfast with friends. We could all be, some of us could be out jogging and doing things like that. Uh, <laughs> for some of us, that would be renunciation. <laughs> renunciation is the practice of just letting go of the ego, letting go of uh, sometimes material things, sometimes just... Uh, things that we don't need in this life. It's just simplifying our lives little by little, letting go of excess, uh, letting go of things that may, that may just clutter our lives and again keep us, from, keep us from being able to focus more deeply and concentrate our minds. So renunciation isn't just uh, going off in the jungle and living in a meditation hut, which is usually very appealing when we're stressed out, not usually. But renunciation is living in this world and engaging in it fully, but letting go of the things that become less and less necessary and that are less and less important. And for all of us, we, we know what those things are. And the more we practice, the more we know when it's time to let go could be a difficult relation, a relationship or toxic people in our lives. It could be uh, too much drama, could be too much, too, too much of anything is always, letting go of that is always renunciation. And wisdom, panya, is the other, you know, we think of the three-legged stool for our practice. We have meditation, which is the concentration and the effort and we have wisdom, which are the insights and the things that arise for us when we combine our practice, our sitting practice, with our morality and with um, the, the study that we do and the, and the things that we're learning. Then the insight that arises is the wisdom that, we, that's, that's, that belongs to us because it's come from our own experience and also sitting with the teachings and sitting with the things that we know and that we study. And effort, viraya, effort is always, uh, effort is when we actually make it here on Saturday morning. It's when we make it to the cushion. It's when we put out the energy, energy that we need to reach our goals because it's the process. It's not that goal that's important, you know, it's the process our determination, our effort, uh, and the, when we keep going, even when we don't see the results, 
at every step along the way. Tolerance is also called patience, and that's Kanti. So tolerance or patience is, all of you know, if you have a daily practice, we need a lot of patience to, in addition to effort, we need the patience to sit and not have immediate results all the time, but to keep sitting. Patience is knowing that all of these efforts that we're putting into our practice have fruit, and sometimes we don't see it. And we may see it after the fact. We may realize things are changing in our lives, but we don't necessarily see it at the moment. Patience and tolerance is a quality we always have to show to others. And uh, it's another part of purifying our own minds is to be patient. And uh, there's, never, there's never enough of that. We may think we're patient people and then we'll, we'll discover that uh, irritation arising if we have to listen to one more story from somebody or you know the same old story or if we have to uh, you know go through the same experience with a good friend over and over again. And we often are most intolerant of, uh, of ourselves. We show the least amount of patience towards ourselves. Selfless love, which is metta, which we all practice, and which is a basis, metta practice, loving kindness, what we need to always remember, metta is always about ourselves. Um, sometimes we think that we're sending things out to other people, and we are changing other people with our practice, and we're, you know, we're, we're doing something for them. Loving-kindness practice, metta, is always about doing something for ourselves because it's purifying our thoughts and it's purifying our minds. So everything that's going from our heart through our mind and then uh, out to others is a way for us to, to really change and transform our minds, how we think, and eventually those negative thoughts, those critical thoughts, those thoughts that, you know, are old tapes that we have, they are gone and they are replaced by thoughts of loving kindness. And we, it happens when we suddenly discover we've, we've changed how we think about other people or other situations. We don't feel that automatic, maybe criticism or negativity or, oh, not this again. We, we discover that without our realizing it, that we've changed, and that causes everything around us to change. So our, our selfless love is selfless in the sense that uh, it changes the world, but it's selfish in the sense that it's, it's, working, it's working within us, and that's, that's what we have to work with. We're always working on ourselves. And equanimity is upeka. And equanimity is the one most people say, I just am not quite sure what equanimity means. And um, that's because we usually don't enjoy equanimity. Most of us enjoy, I think, we tend to enjoy some drama, some excitement, and we're willing to pay the price of the other end of that scale because we don't want to give up the excitement, the drama, the adventure, the 
you know, the craving. And equanimity, equanimity is finding that place, uh, that place in the middle that is, that, that where the extremes have dropped away. And you can, as we think of a renunciation as letting the things drop away that we don't need, equanimity is kind of letting those extreme positions drop away. But the, an easy way to think of equanimity too, when we think of the, the eight worldly, uh, the eight worldly pleasures, these are the things that we're always struggling with in this world. And equanimity is fine, is, is, is ending that struggle, is finding, finding our way out of that, those worldly issues that we're always battling with. Those issues, they're four spectrums, and, and we go from one end of the spectrum to the other with each one. The first is gain and loss. These are the things that we're always caught up in, gain and loss at the other end. And honor and dishonor, praise and blame, and pleasure and pain. So those are the four worldly pleasures or the four the, the worldly struggles. And we're always, if you think about each one, we're usually sliding around on each one of those from one end to the other. And what we want to do is get off of those, uh, that, those seesaws taking us from one to the other. And give up, but we have to give up praise if we want to give up blame, and we have to give up gain if we want to give up loss. And so equanimity is being able to find find what's in between those, and and be okay with with the with the middle without the drama, without the excitement. And so we're always moving towards that. But equanimity, even the Buddha said, that's that can be the very hardest because that's what this that's what samsara this human life is all made up of those uh, those four seesaws and those eight qualities so letting go of them and finding some different something that's not worldly our, as our pursuits become more and more spiritual and less worldly we get off of that those seesaws and you remember what seesaws were like when you were little kids? If you're as old as I am, you know, it was a wooden board and when you hit bottom, it really hurt. <laughs> but when your big brother jumped on the other end and you were flying up in the air, for a few seconds it was just grand, right? <laughs> and it was always dry dirt down at the bottom and it was, you know, when you hit bottom, you really knew you hit bottom. Think of all those qualities just exactly the same way. Well, the, the, the stories that I had about those, we didn't have time for, so that'll have to be another talk. Thank you very much. <laughs>